Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. Excited for this brand new series, I Am. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 11. We're going to jump right into an incredible story here in just a minute. But I want to kind of like tell you about why we're doing this series. Uh, this series is really based on a guy named John. John was one of the followers of Jesus. He was one of these guys that walked with Jesus for a number of years. And he might have been considered the guy closest to Jesus even. Because Jesus had his 12 disciples. But inside of his 12, he had three guys that he would hang out with just a little bit more. And then even then, I think there was a squabble between those three about who was really the closest to Jesus. You know what I mean? You ever felt like you're like, you're like, there's the cool kid? And you're like, well, I'm best friends with the cool kid. And so I, I think Jesus was the cool kid at that time. And, and they were all jockeying for who would be closest to Jesus. And so like John always puts little tidbits in, in his story and version of Jesus that made him just appear a little bit closer to Jesus. So he would say, well, like, I'm the one that Jesus loves. Like that was his title. He wouldn't even put his name in there. He goes, well, the one that Jesus loved. As if that was his second title or second name. And so he would write this 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 narrative and this story and this layout of the life and experiences that he had with Jesus. Now, they're different, though, because there's four accounts of the life of Jesus. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke all kind of have a similar train of thought. They all are a bit, like, historical in nature. They, they put a lot of, of, whether it's dates or specific names or specific cities, and they get very, very detail-oriented um, John is different. John comes out and doesn't try to write necessarily a historical account. But in essence, what he's trying to do is just paint a picture of what he experienced with Jesus. And this is kind of how he puts it. John chapter 20 says this. It says that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded. Meaning like, I didn't write down everything. This, this isn't even meant to be historical. This is just me telling you what I experienced. He said, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Remember, say life. life. Life is a huge word in the book of John. It's repeated more in that book than all the other three books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, combined. So he starts driving home this idea of life. It's fascinating. It's just, it's just the coolest thing. And so really, when, when, when scholarly people look at the book of John, they start to see the pattern within it. So like John actually laid out an outline for which he would write all this stuff because really there are seven major miracles that John writes about. Only seven. As a matter of fact, the miracles that he writes about aren't necessarily included in the other ones. These are, again, they didn't write down everything Jesus did. That would have been a bit much. But they, John just said, I'm going to focus on seven major miracles that build and lead somewhere. And not only are there seven major miracles, but there's seven major statements that Jesus makes along the way throughout the gospel. And they all begin with the phrase, I am. So he says stuff like, I am the bread of life, and I am the light of the world, and I'm the good shepherd, and I'm the... He just starts laying out all these lines, which was basically, remember what John said? He said, I wrote this so that you may know that he really was the son of God. Because I... Everybody say, I am. I am am was a play on something from the book of Exodus. So like Moses is having a conversation with God, speaking through a bush, really strange experience. And the bush, the voice of God coming from the bush, says, hey, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh he's got to let all these slaves go. And so Moses is like, all right, so I, you want me, let me get this, I just want to be clear on this so that I know what you're really saying, because it is a bush after all speaking to me. 
you want me to go to the most powerful man in the world and just say, hey, you got to let all these slaves go. He goes, yep, that's what I want you to do. And then Moses' response is very, very typical. It's what you and I would probably say too. He says, okay, so I'm going to go to Pharaoh and say you got to let all these slaves go. Who exactly do I say sent me? Because they worshiped like all kinds of gods in Egypt. So for me just to come and say, hey, God told me, he would be like, who God? What God? Who? Because we got all kinds. There's Ra, there's the sun, there's the Nile, there's all these things. Who? Exactly. And then God responds, and it's something that they hadn't really heard before. He said, you tell them that I am sent you. Which is crazy to think about that God's name is just I am. Literally, the way that they would interpret it is the eternal one. Like, it's just, he says, I am. Think about this. God exists in the present always. He doesn't have a past. He doesn't have a future. He is the self-existent one. And that's what they were trying to get their head wrapped around, that there is a God who is not trapped in time and space. He's not connected to the sun or the Nile or frogs or birds or any other thing created, but he's outside of all things created. And that's the God I'm talking about. It's the God who is above all things that you could possibly wrap your mind around. He's just the self-existent one. And so the way God frames it was I am well I am what I, I am it was huge big idea so when Jesus comes along he starts making these same claims I am and then he would tag something to it like I'm the bread of life I'm the substance that satisfies I'm the light of the world I'm and then today we're going to look at a very very specific one where Jesus says I am the resurrection and the life and it comes outside of this crazy story in John chapter 11 let's get going So, in John chapter 11, the Bible says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. Now, don't overlook that too quickly. Because it's easy in the Bible just to read something like, All right, this is a sick guy. No, no, this isn't just a sick guy. I want you to go back in time to the last time you had a loved one that was like on their deathbed sick. Tore up from the floor up. They said he wouldn't last. He wouldn't have, he only had so many weeks, so many months. He might not wake up. That type of sick. And remember the emotion of it all. Like remember the pain and the agony and the heartache and the tears and the, and the, the anger. You go through the stages of grief. You start bargaining with God. Remember that because that's really what's going on here. So a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So the sisters, they sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now notice this. He doesn't even say, hey guys, just let Jesus know that Lazarus. Remember Lazarus from over on Elm Street, that one? No, no, he doesn't even use his name. He said, you just let him know the one you loved was sick. Because here's what you don't know if you didn't read some of the earlier stories. Is that this just isn't any, any Lazarus. This just isn't any family. This was like a family that he had dinner with, hung out with. He would stay at their home when he was traveling through Bethany. This was a family that he was incredibly close to. Maybe outside of his disciples, this would have been the family that he was the closest to. So, when Jesus heard this, Jesus said, This sickness is, uh, will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son will be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Jesus was sick, he did what anybody would do. He rushed over to the hospital and prayed for him and raised him back to life. How many of you feel like this is sometimes what Jesus does when you pray? 
Like when you ask God for something, you're like, God, I know you can and you will. And then Jesus, this is, again, this is not just any family. It wasn't like he was really busy, had other things on his plate. This was the family that he was closest to. And when Lazarus was on his deathbed, sick, about to die, Jesus does not rush to the hospital. He does what? He hangs out for two more days and they don't even say what he did. I mean, I don't know what he did. I was just in Carmel for a couple days. I spawed, which by the way, men, is awesome. Don't judge. It's, it's, now, I didn't get my toes done, but it was awesome. And I did a lot of lounging and lingering and doing nothing. If you wrote about what I did, it wouldn't be a lot to write about. They don't write about what Jesus did. I don't know what he did, but he waited two more days. Listen to this. So he stayed there where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, like then, after a couple days go by, let us now go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, don't you remember? Remember a while back there were some Jews there and they tried to stone you, which is different. That's when they throw rocks at you. Not the same vernaculars today. So, so a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you. And you, you mean you're going back to them? Like, Jesus, we were just there. Do you remember when we were there? Remember you said all that stuff? You made all those people mad. They started picking up rocks. You somehow slipped out. Everybody was like tripping. Like, where did Jesus go? Remember that? You want to go back to where that was? So then they told him plainly. Jesus told them plainly. Look, Lazarus is dead. And this is where theology gets really strange here. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. What? Your best buddy just died. You hung out for two days doing not much apparently. And now you're like, I'm glad I did. What has gone wrong with Jesus? What happened to the blue-eyed, brown-haired, Birkenstock robe praying for children? Jesus, he's like, I'm glad I didn't go. But listen to, what he, listen to why he says, I'm so glad that I didn't go. And I'm so glad I wasn't there. So that you may believe. Meaning like this is messed up, y'all. Y'all need to catch this real quick here. That your ability to trust and believe in God trumps your comfort level. Your trusting and believing and knowing God trumps you getting all your prayers answered. You knowing and trusting and believing in God trumps your pleasures. That the most important thing to God is not that you get everything that you wish in your heart, but rather the most important thing is that you know him and that you trust him. Just, just a side thought. So he goes, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, which is kind of interesting because it makes me feel like they had two names. They had their given name and then they had their rapper name. Because um, <laughs> you can't be a rapper and have a name like Sean or Thomas. You need Didymus. And so... Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, Didymus, I think I'm saying that right. He said to the rest of the disciples, well, fine, let us also go that way so that we may die with him. <laughs> so remember, this is doubting Thomas. This is Thomas. And, and the disciples were like, we can't go back. We're going to die. They're going to stone us. They're going to kill us. Jesus, we shouldn't go back there. Remember what happened last time? And Jesus is like, no, 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 we're going to go. And Thomas is like, fine. You know what? Let us all just go die with Jesus. Very dramatic young man here, apparently. And, and so, really what you find is that Thomas is dealing with doubt. Like, this is his issue. When you look at this story, you're going to find there's four major characters, and they all deal with, like, four different things. The first, everybody say doubt. The first thing that you see is that Thomas is dealing with doubt. This is where he is not really sure 
That they should go back to, to Bethany. He's not really sure that he should follow Jesus. He's not really sure that this is a smart idea. He's not really sure. This is where we all struggle with our own faith and our own faith journey. Like, I don't know that God can. I don't really know that God will. I don't even know that God wants to. For some of you, it's, it's, I don't even know that God's real. How do we really know these things? How do you know the Bible's really true? How do you know that Jesus is different than any other major religion in the world? And so I just have all these doubts. And that, I get that. You're here. You're here because somebody promised you lamb later today or a ham or something. And you, you've got your doubts. So I want you to know, like, I'm okay with that. And Jesus is okay with that. And Jesus is not worried about your doubt. This is what's fascinating about the disciples. And so please, if you struggle with doubt out there, listen to me very, very carefully real quick here. You can have all kinds of doubts and still follow Jesus. And he doesn't care. He just invites you along for the journey. As a matter of fact, I'll prove it to you. About two and a half years through the journey of the disciples following Jesus, there's this encounter. And at the end of the encounter, it says, and then they believed that he was God. <laughs> and you're like, wow, you guys have been with Jesus for like two and a half years and you're just now coming to that conclusion? Which means for two and a half years, Jesus was okay with their with their doubt, like just, it would be better for you just to take your doubts, throw them in your backpack, and keep walking with Jesus. That would be better than letting your doubts create a barrier whereby you say, I just don't know. I'm not sure if I can. I don't know. As a matter of fact, Thomas Jefferson, there's this incredible historical thought. Thomas Jefferson actually made his own version of the Bible. Does anybody know this? It's called the Jefferson Bible. What he did was, see, Thomas Jefferson was the scientist guy, and he was the, you know, the child of the Enlightenment era, and he was so, if he couldn't somehow reason it and prove it scientifically, he just couldn't buy into it. But he was fascinated with Jesus, and so what he did was, he literally took a pair of scissors to the gospel accounts of Jesus, and anytime there was a miracle, he just cut it out, literally cut it out, reshape the Bible. And so really when you go through the Bible, like there's like 36 different miracles Thomas just cut completely out of the Bible. And he's like, look, I, I, I like the teachings of Jesus, but I just don't know that I can truly believe. As a matter of fact, when you, when you read his version of the book of John, there are no seven major miracles. And at the end of the day, there is still a stone laid in front of the tomb and the story ends. And that's how some of us are in life. For us, Jesus seems like a good guy. It seems like an all right thing, but we're, we're letting doubt kind of keep us from just following with Jesus. My encouragement is this, is you don't have to believe everything. Just start following now because here's what I know. Even, listen, listen. If you just follow the life of Jesus alone, your life will be a thousand times more blessed than if you disregard everything else. Just, just for a moment, give him a glimmer of hope. Give him just, because he said this, he goes, you don't need much faith, you just need a little bit. And if you just got a little bit, just come and follow me. And they're like, all right, fine. So listen, this is, what, this is what goes on. Let's keep reading this story. So on his arrival, he finally gets to Bethany. It takes a couple of days to get there. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now remember, he was sick. They waited two days. Now he's been in four days. I mean, it took a few days for him to even get there. So he's been in the tomb for four days. They put that in there in particular, and I'll tell you why. It's because in Jewish culture, they believed that when you died, your, your spirit would kind of hover over your body for three days just to see, you know, just in case. Maybe, you know, like coma people I got, you're like, maybe you'll wake up. So, and then after that, poof, you're gone. And so it's not a Bible thing. It was just a cultural folklore thing that they had. So when Mary... I'm sorry, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she runs out to go meet him, but Mary stayed at home. And so this is where you find the next obstacles, is the first guy was Thomas, and he deals with his doubt, but then you have Mary, and she deals with her discouragement. Everybody say discouragement. There he goes. Um, discouragement. 
This, this is where in life you're following Jesus, you pray prayers, you go to church, and then you come up against these, these like experiences in life that just, they just hurt. They're just lame. They're painful. Like, why did I lose my job? Why? You know, like we, we have an amazing couple in our church right now, and they just had a little baby boy. And, 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 you know, like what every mother wants is like some ice chips, some saltines, two pushes, and it's over. That's what you all want, but like it doesn't, it doesn't normally go that way. And so like, and, and for this couple, they're, they're struggling because the kid ends up with like a blood thing and the blood, and it's like, and you keep praying these prayers and the whole church is praying and the prayer team's praying and everybody's praying, everybody's believing. And you're like, God, shouldn't just, just this be easier? Like I serve, I give, like I'm here, I'm praying, people are praying. Why, why does this stuff still just go wrong. Like, why didn't I get the job? Why did I lose the job? Why did I get into that school? Why did the marriage fail? Why did, why? And so Mary just stays at home. She's like, you know what? Jesus is here. Fine. This is almost like people like, oh yeah, you go to church. I'll see you for lamb after. (laughs) Because life has just been too hard. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus keeps walking into the mess. He just keeps walking into the discouragement. Because here's, here's what you need to know about this, is that Jesus never promises in life that if you follow him, that there will never be discouragement. He never promises that if you follow him, there won't be hard times. His promise is this. It's just that I'll be with you. Like, I know pain. I know suffering. I know discouragement. I know abandonment. I know betrayal. I know hurt. I know suffering. I know it all. I'll just hold your hand and we'll walk through it together. And so he just invites you, whether you got doubts, whether you got discouragement, Let's just keep going. And so listen, listen, verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Which is a little bit of, 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 of Martha challenging his motives. Like, well, why weren't you here? What was the two-day delay? What was up with that? Because the thing that she deals with is not just doubt or not just discouragement. She deals with something interesting. Everybody say delay. Because I know like, like if you're like me, you get stressed out when God decides to answer prayers in the midnight hour. You know what I'm talking about? Like we get stressed out when God doesn't answer our prayers in the timeline in which we would feel most comfortable. Because what I want is immediate answers. I want immediate results. And God seems to like wear me out. Because when I pray, it just doesn't happen the way that I thought it was going to happen. It certainly doesn't happen when I thought it would happen. Because God, it would be way easier if you could get out ahead of this thing. And so before I lose my job, you already had one lined up for me. You know what I'm talking about? Before I get sick, you've already got the miracle on the way. Like, like, why, God, are you always late? Which is mind-blowing to think about. C.S. Lewis said this. He was talking about the concept of time. And he's like, the, people, the reason why people struggle with time is because they just, you've, you've never known a world that wasn't seconds, minutes, time, past, present, future. You, you've only known that world. But see, God doesn't know that world. Like, I need you to, like, think about something. Like, space, God doesn't exist in space. Space exists because God created it. Does that make sense? So, like, it's not like there's space and God's out there somewhere. No, no, no. God is out there, and then he literally, like, and then created space. So then he created time so that you would be able to measure things. And this is so frustrating. Because you ever, you ever wonder this? How does God answer five billion prayers at one time? How could you? I mean, my wife can talk to a lot of people at the same time. But not that many. 
And C.S. Lewis said, he said, you got to think of it like an author writing a book. And he said, you got to remember that if, if Susie sat down in her chair and then Susie heard a knock at the door and then you're like, oh, what's coming at the door? And you got to remember that, that for the author to step back, that the author could sit there and think about Susie for as long as he possibly wanted to and no time would have moved in the story of Susie. So like, it, it, it's not even that like time is passing to God. He just stands outside of it and looks. So for him to hear five billion prayers, he's just like, I can just sit there. This is why people say that if it were only you, Jesus would have still died for you. Why? Because to him, it is only you. Why? Because he stands down and he looks at Susie and looks at Susie's story. He looks at Susie's prayer. And he looks at Susie's doubt. And he looks at Susie's discouragement. And he's just like engaging with her. Why? It's completely separate from every other book that he's ever written, which is every one of you that he's ever created. And so it's just this beautiful idea. But to us, like Susie's tripping. Because... Because there's somebody at the door and there's a delay and we've got prayers and we've got needs and we've got hurts and we need answers and we need solutions. And God, where are you? You are supposed to be the one. There's, there's the delay. So we have the discouragement. We have the delay. We have the doubt. Let's keep reading. This is Martha's faith, though. This is what's incredible about Martha. She goes, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Like, how cool is that? Like her, even though in the delay, she's still, of all the people in the story, she's still the one that's like, but hey, I know, you're here. God will still do whatever you want him to do. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And she said, well, I know. I mean, I know he's going to rise again in the whole resurrection of the last day. They had this belief similar to what we believe that, that in essence, at the end of all things, that God raises us all together, that we all join together in heaven and God's presence. And they, they had that belief. And so he's, she's like, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Lazarus will be in heaven. I'll see him there. And Jesus said to her, and he corrects her theology. That resurrection is not just simply an event that happens in the future. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Like I'm the life and I'm the thing that brings things back to life. That the resurrection is not an event, it's a person. And it's in Jesus. So listen to what he says. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he may die. That's Lazarus, right? Because he's dead. He'll live. And then he goes, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. That's me and you. Do you believe this? And what he was saying was this. He goes, resurrection is not just an event that we celebrate once a year in the spring and we put on pastels and maybe wear hats. This is a person. This is about the fact that Jesus is the resurrection. Are you hearing me today? Like, it's so much bigger than that. Yeah, just so you know, I'm going to give away the end of the story. Lazarus comes back to life. Jesus died three days later. He comes back to life. Those are events, and they're true. But Jesus is so much bigger than that. He goes, it's more than just an event. It, I, I'm a person. I am resurrection. And when you believe in that, you're invited into this thing where, guess what? Because I've overcome death, you don't have to die. Let's keep reading. So, do you believe this? Verse 27, yes, Lord. Again, her, she still has faith. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. So Jesus moves on into the story and he says he, he was coming to the tomb. Jesus once more deeply moved. Remember, this is where like the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He was crying for Lazarus. He was moved emotionally because he lost his friend. But he's deeply moved. He comes to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. And I love this. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there's a bad odor. Because he's been there for four 
days. The King James says, Lord, he stinketh. That's how you say it fancy. He stinketh. And this is where we just find that, that like, like, remember, we, 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 Thomas had the doubt, and Martha, Mary had the discouragement, and Martha had the delay. Lazarus just has, yeah, death. That's the worst day of all. Because then that's fatal, right? To us, it's over. It's, it's finished. It's, it's the worst thing that could possibly happen. It's the worst possible outcome that somehow death won. And it's just the ultimate discouragement. So Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. And I love this part. I knew that you always heard me. I just said this so that other people staying around would hear. And then you would, you, I don't even need to pray this. I just did it for everybody else. Just, you know. So when he had said this, Jesus called out with a loud voice. You know why he yelled? Because Lazarus is wrapped up, mummified. It's hard to hear through that stuff. So he yells, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And this is the story where Jesus introduces himself as the great I am. But he says it very particularly in this instance. There's seven of them throughout the book of John. But in this moment, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. That's who he is. Literally, resurrection is not an event. Resurrection is a person. It is the person of Jesus. And this is, in essence, what he was really saying. And this is what I think we need to take away, is that Jesus brings things back to life. Like, that's the fact, Jack. That is why we celebrate. That's why we worship. That's why we wonder. That's why we study. That's why we give. That's why we pursue. That's why we keep following. Is because in all my experiences, when I, at the age of 17, turned to Jesus, I realized that I was dead in my own sins. And when I discovered who Jesus was, I realized that Jesus brought me back to life. And this is what's so fascinating. It's not just, it's like a heart thing. Like when, when I allow Jesus any, into any area of my life, life comes back. When I allow Jesus to speak into any area of my life, to take over, to have control, when I surrender to Jesus in any arena, any circumstance, Jesus brings things back to life in my heart with sin, because we're all dead in our own sin. But I'm telling you this, like even as I begin to journey with Jesus, like this is what would happen. Like I just thought you, you, you said a prayer and then that was enough because that was your heart and that's all that mattered. Then I realized actually Jesus cares about everything. So then I realized this, like I remember being like a, a young married couple and I realized like, wow, it's not enough just to love her. Like I need Jesus's help to love her because I don't do a good job on my own. I'm not good at this. I need to invite Jesus into my marriage. And you know what I found? Is that Jesus brings things back to life. And so if your marriage is out there and you think I'm on the brink and I got the papers filed and I already called the lawyer and he's tripping and she's crazy. I just know this. And I've seen it time and time again that when you invite Jesus into any arena of your life, like we did this with our finances, like we would find ourselves broke from month to month, broke, 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 couldn't get it. And we realized, you know, we just never asked Jesus anything about our finances. We never looked at what the Bible said. And so all of a sudden it was like, Jesus, what do you want us to do? Like, how do we get out of debt? How do we live for you? How do we honor you with our stuff? And we invited Jesus into our finances. And Jesus brings things back to life. He does it in your parenting. He does it in your career. He does it because wherever Jesus is, there's resurrection. It's just who he is. You can't avoid it. You let Jesus in, life just starts happening. I'll close with this thought. There was this, um, there was this interesting thing that I'd read. It was a pastor in Italy. 
And he had been visiting a church, and these older churches would have uh, graveyards connected to the church. You've probably seen this before. We don't do, we don't do that anymore. But he was, he was walking through the cemetery of this little church that he went to go and speak to. And as he was walking through, there was literally a grave that had a slab. You know, normally there's just a headstone. There was a whole slab over the entire shape of the casket. And he thought that was odd. And so he, he went to read. And, and he had seen something fascinating. Is that literally there was a tree in the middle of the slab. But as he read the slab, this is what the slab said. The slab literally said, I do not want to be raised from the dead. I don't believe in it. Which is bold. You know, that's gutsy. I don't even care. You know, like, this is my thought. Logic would say, you know, it's worth it just to give it a chance. <laughs> what if you're wrong? <laughs> if, if I'm wrong, I lose nothing. If you're wrong, you lose everything. And so what he had seen, though, is that literally when they were, when they were doing this, this slab over the gravestone or over the, over the coffin area, is that an acorn had fallen into the ground underneath this huge cement slab and the acorn found life somehow and literally began to grow and slowly and slowly over time life broke forth through the slab and this giant oak tree emerged and this is what the pastor said I'll read it so I don't mess it up because if an acorn which has the power of life in it can split a slab of that size what can the seed of God's resurrection power do in a person's life. See, wherever Jesus is, it's not, it, it, listen, it's not that Jesus can bring resurrection. That's not what he said. He's not like, hey, I can do that. Hey, God can do that. I am that. That the greatest gift that God gave was Jesus himself. It wasn't that he would just give you life. Remember, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. It's not that God wants to give you life. It, it's that he wants to give you Jesus and that in Jesus there's life. See, some of you, you're searching for life. And I understand. Because in, in, in the inside of us, there's a need in our soul. It longs for something. Sometimes it longs for love or acceptance or respect or significance. And, and we're longing and we're searching and we're constantly like looking for things outside somehow to bring meaning and significance or to bring us life. But what we failed to realize is, is that life is not in things or in stuff or in time or in space or in like even relate. Life itself is in Jesus. And that's why we keep searching. That's why we're looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> Jesus is the resurrection and life itself. It's in him. Now, I want to get you this idea here. Is that Lazarus lived two lives, didn't he? Now, I don't know what he said when he came back. I don't know what they asked him. I don't know what he said. But we know that Lazarus lived a certain amount of time and that he died. And he was dead for four days. And then Jesus gave him new life again. Literally brought him back from the grave. And he had then two lives. And this is the image that God wants to have for you. Is that you had a life before you met Jesus. Right? We had a life. We were trying. We were doing. We experimented. We were, we were, we were trying to figure it out. We did the best we could. We made a lot of mistakes. But then we, if, if you get to a point where you begin to have faith in Jesus... Not just the intellectual acknowledgement, the existence that God may have been. or No, 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 no. This active walking with and trusting in Jesus. And when that moment takes place and you invite Jesus into all the areas of your life, you have resurrection and, you have, and now you're in this second life now. I'm telling you, God wants to give you life. Remember I told you John speaks of life more than any other, any other preacher in all the New Testament. Why? 
He said this, he goes, he said, Jesus said that I've come that you might have life and life to the fullest. In John 17, 3, he said this, he goes, and this is that life, that they may know Jesus, the Son of God, and the Father who sent him. That is life. Let's pray this morning. So Jesus has this incredible encounter and this incredible story with a man named Lazarus and Martha and Mary and Thomas and there's doubt and there's discouragement and there's all these bad things and then Jesus is not afraid of any of them. He just keeps walking right in the midst of them and he seems to overcome the doubt and the discouragement and he makes sense of the delay because he said it's really all about you believing anyway. It's not about necessarily the avoidance of pain or the enjoyment of pleasure. There's so much more than that. He goes, I need you guys to get your head wrapped around something that life is not found in stuff and it's certainly not found in an event. And you know this to be true because some of you, you built your lives on trying to get to a certain place or a certain position in life and then you got there and it didn't quite satisfy. You built it up in your mind so big that when I get this, when I get there, when I can have this, then life, then I'll be there. And then you realize it just doesn't measure up to all that I thought it would be. It's because you were thinking it was in an event. You thought it was in a thing. Life is not found in a thing. It's found in Jesus. And wherever Jesus is, Jesus brings things back to life. I want to invite you, for those of you who are here, and maybe you haven't been to church in a really long time, maybe you've never been at all, I want to invite you into that life. Like Jesus, the reason why the story happened was so that you might believe, so that you might come to know that he is life. And so if you're in this place and you're like, Todd, I know that I need life. I know I've been searching for life and things and events and space and time and all those others, and it just doesn't work. Nothing has satisfied, nothing has fulfilled me, nothing worked out the way that I thought it was. I still recognize that something's missing, something's wrong, something's wrong in me, something's wrong in my relationships, something's wrong in the fact that I don't even know what's going to happen when I die, and I'm really a little bit nervous about that because I don't think that's short up. I don't know, and I'm telling you, it's in Jesus. And so I want to invite you to say a prayer with me today and to invite that life into your heart and to invite Jesus into your heart. And if you say, Todd, I'm ready. I want to, I want to take that step. I, I, I want to, uh, even with all my doubts, I just want to ask Jesus to help me today. And so if you're in here today and you say, Todd, I want to make a step towards Jesus. I want to ask Jesus to be life in me and to help me, to forgive me, to be in my life. Then on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. Again, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. This is just between me, you, and God. But if you say, Todd, today's the day I need Jesus into my life, then on the count of three, slip your hand up in the air. One, two, three, and put your hand up in the air. Yeah, you need that life. Absolutely. Keep your hand up. You need that life. We all need that life. You can put your hand back down now. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to pray a prayer together. And here's the deal. There's no such thing as a magical prayer. This prayer is just our simple little way of trying to acknowledge God and ask God and to speak to God and to to, to reach out to God. And so here's what I want you to do. I'm going to lead you in this prayer and I want you to say it after me. I want you to say it out loud so you can even hear it with your own ears. And we're all going to do it together. And so everybody out loud, repeat after me. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and change my life. I am a sinner. I'm lost. I am in need. And I believe that Jesus, you are life. I ask for your help, for your forgiveness. Help me, Lord, to know you and to follow you today and every day for the rest of my life. I believe. 
Jesus, it is in your holy name that we pray this prayer. And we all shouted, amen. 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 Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nvchurch.tv.